Good morning, brothers and sisters of Newbury Church. Uh, welcome to our live stream. Uh, welcome back as we join together this morning around the Word of God as I am once again looking out at the people of God. Um, I'm grateful to be here this morning uh, and excited to share what the Lord has laid on my heart um, this morning. And I am wanting to take this moment just to um, encourage my wife as she has been a wonderful servant of our home and, and family and of the Lord Jesus Christ, most importantly, and of, and of me. And just, um, I have seen her poured out like a drink offering uh, for the Lord, a beautiful sacrifice, a sweet aroma, not just her hair, but just um, how she is very gracious with me. Because um, preaching uh, back-to-back weeks for the first time maybe ever uh, in this season with Two small children can be very difficult, but I am grateful, and I need you to edify me, Candace. I can't be edified alone, apart from you and apart from the body of Christ, and so I am grateful that uh, you all are here this morning, and so um, as we will pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, last week we did 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the day of the Lord. We looked at verses 1 through 12. And just a little recap for us. We talked about in the the sermon last week, faithful waiting begins with faith in the Word of God. Um, Paul said that they knew, the Thessalonian church knew um, the scriptures they had from the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus was coming back uh, because they had gathered around the Word of God for many years. They were all brought up together in the faith, uh, as some would say. Point number two I made last week was faithful waiting brings security to the believer's heart. Now you might say, well, what does that even mean, uh, security to the believer's heart? But there were some people who were worried about if they were going to see Jesus come back, if it was going to be okay that people who were dead were going to be able to rise and go to heaven. Um, But the true assurance is that those who have professed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will rise with him and see him. Um, Now how we... I guess extract um, before the tribulation or after the tribulation or how long it's going to be. That's kind of up for debate, but I won't hash that out right now. But there is security in knowing that those of us who place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ um, are safe and and ready for his return because some people were just kind of like, oh, you know, uh, he'll come back whenever. But they were asleep spiritually and dead spiritually, and they weren't ready for the return of Christ. They were living quite flippantly. And then the third point I made last week was faithful waiting has a personal and communal call to sanctification as he reminded them to to gather together. Um, And that's kind of where I want to pick up this week um, as we look at the day of the Lord part two. Um, The Lord is coming back, and that's definitive, as, as the kids might say, facts. And there is a disposition that we should have And it's not based upon anything we work for, but it's based solely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we close out this chapter, and as we close out our time in Thessalonians this morning, the text tells us to press into community for the purpose of sanctification because the day of the Lord is upon us. So I'm asking us this morning to lock up, to look up, because the sun could show up at any moment.
I'm asking us this morning to lock up, to look up, because the sun could show up at any moment. Let's read the text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 13 through 28. 12 to 28, I'm sorry. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. That's important. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil, from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, as we await your return, the return of your Son, as we wait faithfully, as we gather around your word, as we look to allow your word to sanctify us, as we look to allow your word to, to, to walk us into obedience by means of your spirit, and as we look to, to lock up, look up, because the sun could show up at any moment. Help us process this word this morning, not by any wit or, or sharpness, but may the spirit who dwells richly with, within us enable us to see the beautiful truth that you are coming back, and it is hope for the believer. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a young man, oh man, I love my, my childhood. I bring up my childhood so much, but it's just, it's just true. I love baseball, and I joined a baseball league, and I would set out my uniform the night before, and I would walk it to the local laundromat and wash it with a few quarters and dry it. And I would put it on at 7.30 and the game started at 10. And I would walk the few blocks to the local park. And it's funny now because I was like 12, I don't know. And I, I could just walk that far by myself early in the morning. And I would walk to the park. And the way our little league was set up, it was set up in such a way that um, we only had two ball fields, and all the games were played on the same two ball fields. Um, you either played on the north side or the south side. And, <laughs> and, but it wasn't a whole lot of room to go be in your own space. We didn't have multiple number of locker rooms. You just showed up together, and when, you're, you know, when you got there, you just figured it out. But the beauty is, as I was telling my wife last night, we had green jerseys. And I would show up to the park, and everyone was there from the 
Um, the Giants were there. The Buckeyes were there. I was on the Bisons. We were there. The Eagles were there. Uh, these are Negro League teams, by the way. The uh, Birmingham Black Barons were there. And everyone was there. There wasn't any locker rooms. But when it was time to play, the coach would, would walk in a general direction and he would say, Bisons, let's go. It's time to play. And the beauty about this moment is it didn't matter where we were. I could have been over on a basketball court, uh, ice cream truck, hot dog stand. Um, I could have been mixed up with the Eagles. But he walked over wearing something I could identify with. And he knew me because I was wearing the same colors he was wearing. And it didn't matter that my friend Brent was over here because he knew what I was wearing and I was wearing what he was wearing. And when the coach came, we recognized his voice and we recognized what he looked like and we were ready to go. It didn't take much more than that. So I'm saying, that's a picture for us. This text reminds us that while we may be spread out, different places or whatever, we can still look the same. We can still admonish one another in many ways, encourage one another in many ways. The day of the Lord commands that we fight for communal and personal sanctification. There is a calling for all of us to look more like Christ in this season. There is no off-season in pursuing the body of Christ or to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. Wherever you may be, we're all still called by Christ, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by God, to walk and model the ways of our Savior. Point one, the day of the Lord is upon us. Let's lock up. The day of the Lord is upon us. Let's lock up. Verses 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, this letter was written to the leaders of the Thessalonian church. And Paul is saying to respect those who labor among you and esteem them very highly because of their work, and be at peace among yourselves. Now, if I could just kind of let us in by the, by the Spirit's love and, 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 and just grace for a moment, I would imagine uh, that some of these people would have been the same age, you know, according to the, you know, the research done, and, and this church was sent and commissioned together. So think of it this way. You may have some, some leaders who are serving and teaching and, and shepherding and just loving on the flock, and I'm not just going to say pastors, but anybody here, for that matter, um, they might have been the same age as some of the flock. They may have been saved around the same time, if the church was commissioned at the same time. They may have been sent out together. But let us not think that there wasn't some, I guess, bitterness or maybe even some, how is he telling me what to do? Um, we have to guard our hearts on how we esteem our leaders and this is kind of an awkward position as an uh, elder here, but it took me a moment to really just dissect this as I was sitting. And the call to action before the Lord's return for, for, the, for the church is not to, to look for, for pastors who are just great orators, who are just great at, at teaching, and you agree with everything that you do, but it's, it's how can you submit to the authority that God has placed in front of you? How can you do that? And I know that 
if we're the same age sometimes, or in, in maybe not even at New Breed, but if someone is your same age and, and you come from a different background, a, a different theological bent, or if you just don't think it's working, how the body of Christ is ran, I would ask all of us, what are we submitting to? Are we submitting to an idea of how church should run? Are we submitting to the ways in which our political landscape has shaped us? Faithfully serving church members are in every season, no matter what. So let us encourage our servants as we move on to this next season, next year, or as we look for brothers and sisters to encourage one another, as I'll get into. But as we can shepherd and love well our pastors, and I'm one of the pastors, it's not so much about what they know, and we, we, we don't always challenge what they know, but it's the call is to love and to serve. That's what we can encourage, if nothing else, to love and to serve. And I'm just grateful for Pastor Michael, as he, too, has been modeling well for me how to love and, and serve this body. Pastor John, how to model and, and shepherd and, and love this body well. And I'm just so grateful that these men have allowed me and brought, brought me close to them so I can give testimony of their service, of their, of their labor in the Lord. It's not that they're so smart, but these men are willing to labor for you. And that's what we can encourage. We may disagree with logistics of, of, of budgeting and, and how this is run, but if we have an issue with a pastor, may it be to the glory of God to edify and further the kingdom and not to get our own church identity. We want to further the kingdom. Let us esteem our pastors in doing so. Let's build one another up. This can be a lonely time for a pastor. I can remember when I was a young man, and going back to young man, and I was I was a newly saved Christian. It felt like I had the whole world around me. The whole body of Christ that was on the south side of Chicago was just with me. And it felt great because even though I went to a public school, I, I didn't feel lonely necessarily all the time. When I went to KSU, it was a little different. I went to Frankfort, Kentucky, which is a little different than Chicago. Um, but I still had my brethren at the BCM. And even though we were small in number, we lived near the same dorm and we could just hang out all the time. And then I went to Eastern Kentucky and things got really different. Um, yeah, it, it was just really different because uh, I was not only small in the number of people that I knew that were Christians, but um, I was one of the only African-American men that I knew. And then I got to seminary, and believe it or not, it kind of got even more a little lonely. And then I got to New Breed, married with kids, met my wife, and guess what? As a pastor, someone once told me, you know, being a pastor is, is, is a lonely place at times. And I'm here to just vouch for that because it's not like you can just go and do when you have a family to love and care for or to provide for your family as a tent maker. And so I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying that I know your need and that John knows your need and that Michael knows your need exactly. But don't forget to encourage us. Don't forget to, to access how we're doing. And if you're struggling with something that we might say, Come sit with us. Let's use the Ephesians 4 model. Be current. Don't let the sun go down on it. Let's speak truth and love. And here's a call too. 
people labor in the church who are just not pastors, right? Like, like Wes is literally running sound right now. And we have a music team. We have uh, Sister Emily over there holding down the communion. And I'm going to call you a deaconess for this purpose. And so look, so look, the call is just not you to me, but it's you to you, right? If you see a brother or sister who has a gift, go to him, say, hey, I see you serving well. Why don't you, you, you consider this ministry? Hey, I see that you can count money really well and that you have a degree in finance. Hey, maybe there's a spot on our, our team, our, our team of, of finance people. Hey, you have this gift, brother, sister. This is a church-wide edification of, 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 of leaders that we can raise up. Not just us, but everybody. Everybody. As God, in fact, has always appointed individuals by calling and conviction to lead and shepherd his people. And one way we can, we can kind of struggle with that a little bit, even as I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on the same point of like, there can be some encouragement of, hey, brother, I see you doing that well. Hey, sis, I see you doing that well. Why don't you try this ministry? We can also bring division amongst ourselves, unfortunately. If you remember uh, one of our first series um, in Acts, uh, Paul, in a, Paul uh, is writing, and he, he's like, uh, or Luke, I should say, and the church was divided because some of them wanted to follow Paul and some of them wanted to follow Apollos. There was some insubordination within the structure of God. Some people preferred this method of preaching. Some people preferred this method of teaching, this method of, of group leading, this method of shepherding. That just brings division and strife. Let's join together. Let's lock up. And submit to one another. A point of application here. A church that understands that Jesus is coming back will submit to Jesus by dealing honorably with those God has placed in the church to oversee the flock. Whether it's a, a pastor, an elder, a deacon, or just servants in general, in a sense. Because I don't want this just to be to us as pastors. I believe that if a brother or sister has a gift and sees potential in that brother or sister, go to them, encourage them. Say, hey, sis, you have this gift. Put it on full display for the body to see. I know that this is a season where we try to stay spread out and apart and, and stay safe, but we can serve each other in other ways. There is no such office that the market has sewn up on walking beside a church member where that is not important. There is no such office where in the church, whether it's a, a, a greeter or, or a pastor, that we don't need all hands on deck and encouragement at all times. We pursue healthy submission to biblical authority, all of us, The day of the Lord is upon us. Let's lock up. So one of the ways we can lock up is just by encouraging one another, whether it be uh, the pastors, uh, you to the pastors, the pastors to you. And once again, the bigger piece, as, as we think about like an end time passage, is, is the body to the body. Because in a sense, if, if we weren't here, this operation needs to still keep going, right? Like just because you don't have someone who can uh, preach the text doesn't mean the church can't assemble. And what we don't want is 
this to be a few people running a group of a hundred. No, this is all of us. I need you. You need me. So let's lock up. My second point is actually a point 1A. The day of the Lord is upon us. Let's lock up. But I'm going to go to verses 14 through 22. I didn't know how to write it any other way. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every evil. All right. Now, for those of you who are paying attention, for 50 invisible bonus points, how many encouragements was that? About 20. This is like the, uh, I I think one commentator said, um, this is like the 20 commandments of the New Testament, right? Like, so these were things that uh, established the relationship, and now these are things that you should be doing in the relationship. Nobody got that. Okay. All right. So, but you look at this list and you say, man, that's a lot of stuff to do. Can I, who's really kept all of that? Like, like nobody's really kept that. Like I've made my wife mad within the past, I don't know, 72 hours. And that's being gentle. But that's not really the focus of this text. Can you keep all of this stuff? That's not the point. The point is not, can you Pray without ceasing. Can you just be happy all the time? Which does not even mean that. And can you just test everything properly and efficiently? And can you never sin in life? That's not the point of this particular passage and what I want to drive home. The point is, brother, now, with a straight face, can you do any of this without ever being around the body of Christ? Maybe. But no! This is a call to gather. This, this, is, this is where I need you. How are you going to encourage the faint-hearted if you're never around the faint-hearted? It's kind of impossible. It's kind of impossible. Admonish the idol. Now look, I know that we haven't really done a spiritual gifts inventory and that everyone is on a different journey in their walk, but I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back, other than the, I guess, uh, the expectation that my preaching would be edifying and faithful to the church, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so it's not like one of us can just sit on the sidelines. But even as I say that, it's going to come with an encouragement of, hey, you may not feel gifted here. Or you may not like it here. But, but where can we meet you to help you see him? That's the key. Where can we as a body of Christ meet you to help you see him? Faint-hearted, that kind of speaks for itself. <laughs> like, we are weary. We are weary. Like, whether it's fighting off illness with family members or disbelief or, please, I mean, you know, looking at the news. Jeez, that's tough. That is, that is tough. But once again, if I don't have you to help me soundboard appropriately through Scripture, then yes, my heart will be weak a lot. And we're called to be patient. 
just because somebody don't believe the same thing as you in this exact moment, don't give up on them. In the body of Christ, in the context of the local church, if someone's not understanding the importance of gathering together, let's still pursue them. If someone's not understanding the, the importance of a particular text, they're still your brother and sister. If they have a political disposition that, that you may, and that, that's important, that you may deem as way over here or way over here, guess what? Paul and Peter did too. And they wrote some of the New Testament. One was a Jew who was like, these dudes are filthy. And one was like, bruh, go get them. Nothing new, right? You know, be patient. No retaliation. If we're struggling with, with words on Facebook with one another, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. I'm sad. No retaliation. If we have an issue with a brother or sister, let's, let's, let's go and, and try to figure it out according to Scripture. If you got a position that's like, hey, you did this to me, well, um, how do we handle that in Scripture? Pray about it first before you go to them. No retaliation. It's kind of like uh, a keep going on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Like, you know, we, we, don't, we don't retaliate. Justice is not ours. Vengeance is not ours. All that belongs to the Lord. Seek to do good always, regardless of person and circumstances. Seek to do good. Rejoice. And the, the thing about rejoicing is it's not conditional to the matter at hand or the season. God's presence in the believer's lives is what allows us to rejoice. Through and to the end of all circumstances. It's not, rejoicing in a, isn't, a, isn't, a, isn't a time-constrained thing that the believer has. It's not a seasonal thing in, a, in, in life that the believer has. The character of God for the believer that dwells richly through the Holy Spirit, leaves no other option but to rejoice. But to rejoice. And this is the best picture I can give you for right now. And maybe you can find more and please share them with me. But if we flip to 2 Samuel 22, 1 through 30, it's David's song of deliverance. And I'm going to read it from, from, from the Bible because it's kind of long, 1 through 30. So bear with me. But... Uh, Paul told me to read this in front of you, so I'm supposed to read it in front of you. <laughs> David's song of deliverance. And you say, what's that got to do with rejoicing? Well, in all circumstances, you know, give thanks in all circumstances. How about that? Well, um, how about this? And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So if we're kind of catching up to this, Saul tried to kill David on multiple occasions. Yes, it was not pretty. And so this is in response to the Lord delivering David from the hand of Saul and all of those multiple enemies. Because yes, David had um, some dudes who wanted to get after him in many ways. And I'm not saying that's our situation, but if anyone could just sit and chill out, um, it might have been him and say, oh, man, this ain't looking good. But let's see what he said. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. 
my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompass me. They're there. They're all around them. The torrents of destruction assailed me. Assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I'm broken. I'm hurting. I'm sad. I'm worn out. I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. For his temple, from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed from him, forth from him. He bowed, the, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and, and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals and fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Now, this is David in the Old Testament. just want to keep everybody up, up to speed here. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundation of the world were laid bare, and the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me. From my strong enemy, from those who had hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. David righteous? According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me, for I've kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Now that's a lot of reading and a lot to digest. But what I'm getting at is David was snatched out of death into the Lord's hand. The Lord snatched him out of death. He was entangled with enemies all around him. They were ready to kill him. And his response was to sing a song. Rejoice. Rejoice. So rejoice, give thanks in all circumstances. If we can be happy for God bringing life, we can be happy for God preserving life. Rejoice in all circumstances. Pray. One of the, another uh, call in this, in this commandment list is pray. Pray relentlessly. I was convicted when Brother John was, was praying for me and all of us, quite frankly, that we don't always pray uh, as we should, not even in structure, but just even in, in time with the Father. We don't always do that. And I was reminded as I was preparing this that, that Jesus modeled that really well, whether it's as he begins his ministry and as he's about to have his ministry come to a painful end. Called the, the, the Jewish people called the Romans and said, go get him. And he knew it was coming. And he decided he'd go pray in a garden. He'd go pray in a garden. Daniel, remember that? This dude, 
he knew that King Darius and Nebuchadnezzar did not have his best interests. So he prayed. Acts chapter 1 and 2. This is post-ascension. This is knowing that their heads could be in the same spot as Jesus. They devoted themselves to prayer and to teaching and to gathering. We can be relentless in the good things of God. We can pursue that relentlessly, pray without ceasing. We can be thankful. Romans one twenty one reminds us that thankfulness is a natural DNA trait and is not a dispositional choice. I should read that. Thankfulness is a natural DNA trait and not a disposition of choice. Should have used the CSB right, honey. For all that they know God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is Paul writing to the people who exchange the truth of God for a lie. And the truth of God is what we can be thankful for. Because when it sits in us, those invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, that eternal love, that is what yields thankfulness. Nothing that you can, can just be like, oh, you know what, I'm going to decide to be thankful. I mean, you can, maybe, you know, verbally, consciously, but, but really thankfulness, I would say, is a natural DNA trait of the believer and not a dispositional choice. Because thankfulness flows directly from who he is, a good father, and who I am, loved by him. I can't change that in this moment, so I'm thankful. The fact is, at the day of the Lord, beloved, until the day of the Lord, thankfulness is not something that we we should try to muster up. It's not even something we can muster up. It's a seed planted by the Holy Spirit. The progressiveness of our sanctification, the seed planted by the Holy Spirit and watered by the Word and us, and we need each other to do that. Spirit-led lives will bear fruit. Spirit-led lives will bear fruit. If we are connected to the Spirit and each other, we will bear fruit. As I'm going to go back to uh, Thessalonians Preparing our hearts to receive the word of God is what we should do in terms of as we think through how we receive one another and just, and, just, and just lock up. Sin will cause us to desire other things, which will mean essentially we'll be in disobedience, even in the most sincere forms. So as we continue to press on through this season, Expecting the Lord's return and expecting the Lord's favor in all circumstances and being grateful. We just have to address how we pursue one another. Don't let sin get in the way and muddy up the waters. Sin will take an honest desire and turn it into a hurtful detriment.
It will take an honest desire and turn it into a hurtful detriment. So let's prepare our hearts to receive this, the word as we, as we continue to gather uh, in groups, on a computer, in the park, here. They, the Lord, is upon us. Let's lock up. Point two. The day of the Lord is upon us. Let's look up. The day of the Lord is upon us. Let's look up. Verses 20 through to 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I think Charles tried to do that this morning. I put you under an oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So this is us. So we we locked up in community with our leaders and servants, and we locked up with community with one another, with those who may feel weak and just hurting and just just afraid, quite frankly. And so we do that. So we, we, we grab arms and we hold tight, right? We don't let go. And then we just look up. Now it's time to look up. The, the idea of being sanctified completely in this text may catch some of you off guard, <laughs> theologically. Maybe. I don't know. Um, before Jesus comes back, right? So th- this is like Paul saying, hey, uh, be sanctified completely. Well, that don't make sense because Paul said, hey, I'm chief of sinners. And Peter said, confess your sins, you know, and David you know, his great-grandson essentially was like, hey, my sin is ever before me, the ones I'm doing on purpose and the ones I don't even know I'm doing. So how is that even, how is that even a thing? Your sanctification first works from the inside out. All aspects of our existence, our beliefs, our desires, our views on anything, that's kind of what he's getting at here. It's not that you're going to be in a place where you don't even need Jesus. It's that you're submitting your whole being so you can be more like Jesus. The completely is not without error. The completely is every aspect of your existence. All aspects are our beliefs, what we believe, our desires, what we want to do, what we, what we most long for, our political views, our physical selves, Stewardship of our time, talents, gifts, money, they all come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not that get it right once and you're good for the rest of your life, but it's more like he is the only one who can get you right for the day of the Lord. He is the only one who can get you right for the day of the Lord. Now, I'm going to go back to this. There are 22 commandments here. And I'm even saying, hey, it's COVID, it's hard, I'm sick, I'm broken. I said that in the last week to my wife. This week, Friday, right? She's, she's not. Friday, I said, hey, I don't, I'm tired, honey, I don't feel like doing this. Not a good excuse, not a good excuse. Because when we say, hey, I have to do all these things, we're using the wrong noun. We're using the wrong noun, a pronoun. Look at verse 24. It is he. Focus on that for a minute. When you see this list of things that, that help us look more like Christ, look at, the, look at the pronoun he. Don't charge your pastors according to you, but encourage us according to he. 
You can't have Hesed, covenantal loyalty, without He. He is the anchor of the covenant loyalty to His beautiful bride. I love wedding analogies, as you guys have heard before. So I'm going to go back to that. So remember when we all got married to Christ? Remember that? You know? And he said, I do to the hopeless sinner. He said, I do to the lazy glutton. He said, I do to the person who didn't even believe it was true when he first heard it. Now we married, right? And now we're in the house of the Lord, right? And so the groom gets up, and after he said he do, we're in his house, and he wakes up every morning and makes you a bread breakfast daily. And he says, this will sustain you not just for today, but for all of eternity. And after you go, you go to work, you've been out there all day, grinding out for the Lord Jesus Christ in a servant form. You come home and you're sore. And he soothes you with the balm of Gilead. He soothes you with the balm of Gilead. And you didn't spend a dime on it. He says, look, I'm the only one who can massage the heart with a simple, gently touch. I can massage your heart with a gentle touch. So he massages your heart when you get home from work and your shoulders because you're tired, right? And after you lay down to sleep, it is he who keeps your mind, your body, and your soul in covenantal care. He's there. He's there. The best way we can be reminded of this beautiful truth is to yearn to gather together to read aloud the truth of God weekly amongst the body of Christ, and to share the good news amongst ourselves and then to the world. It is he who sanctifies us completely until the day of the Lord. It is he. And it's like, you know what? I don't feel that sanctification right now. I don't feel that complete sanctification because I'm short with kids. I'm short with, with patients. Um, maybe my, my, my notes are a little late at work. And I'm speaking to me, not you. Um, but maybe you have a similar story. But this is the part where we got to remind ourselves of what, what, what's the big story? The big story is his story. In Genesis, God created the world. It was perfect. It was beautiful. The grapes were sweet. The waterfalls were, were not polluted. It was beautiful. And he said it was good. And he made you and me man in his image and they were blameless sinless and he said they were good but as we know the fall came adam and eve chose disobedience and according to romans 3:23 for the wages of sin is death and that's an eternal separation from god and in that moment god had to to take a clean and, 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 and blameless animal that he had just said was good, but he gave up his best coat for these two people. And he covered them. But that's also a picture of, hey, the wages of sin is death. Somebody or something's got to die. And that's Jesus. Jesus. Romans six twenty three, But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Adam and Eve couldn't pay for the lamb to be with the, with the goat or, the, or, the, or the, the, the clothing that they got from the animal to be slaughtered, and we can't pay for Jesus' death. We can't. 
But then there's also redemption and restoration. The redemption part is that Jesus dies on a cross for our sin, and he uh, lived the perfect life before that, blameless. He died, the punishment. He was buried, resurrected, defeated death. Death can no longer hold us down. And so now we got freedom in Christ Jesus. But then there's restoration. And this is the part that we're at now. That when Jesus comes back, he's going to properly restore all of this to its right place. You ever seen a, um, a movie like A Wonderful Life be refurbished and resold at Christmas? And it's like, whoa, that looks really good. The color, yeah. This is way better than that. <laughs> this is way better than that. I was about to buy a refurbished Mac and Christmas. Like, you could, but it's cheap. It might go out in a couple of years. But when Jesus comes back and he restores it, it's not going to go out in a couple of years. It's good for all time. And that's what we've been looking at for the past two weeks, the day of the Lord. For some in Isaiah, it's, it's sad because destruction is coming their way. But for us, it's hope. It's hope. And if you would not profess your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, then yes, there is destruction on the way. There won't be time, as Brother John said. When you try to go get that oil lamp on reserve, it's not going to be enough time. You cannot bring enough oil to the lamp party. You just can't. You just can't. So, take Jesus. Love Jesus. Submit your hearts and minds to Jesus. Call him Lord and Savior. And that is your best and most eternal hope anyone could offer. Mainly him. New breed, the day of the Lord is upon us. Let us lock up, look up, because the sun is about to show up. Let's pray.